Howdy, folks. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of TGC Midweek. Jacob and Michael back with you on the pod. Michael, what is happening? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Did you have a good feast? It was great. Went to Fort Worth, spent some time with Rachel's side of the family, and um, kids got to play with their cousins, Uh which was always good, and see the grandparents, which doesn't happen often enough. And it was a beautiful drive. We took 281 instead of 35. That's the move. Which is the trick because, I mean, it's just beautiful Texas hill country most of the way. You'll add about 30 minutes, but totally worth it. You know, on the map, um, it's less miles that way. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's quicker if you got in a traffic jam or two on 35. Oh, yeah. 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 So we'll never, I don't know if I'll drive 35 again going to Fort Worth. We don't drive up to... Uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area that much, but the few times I've had to do that, definitely recommend the 281 route. Yep. Much more pleasant. You arrive at with a lower blood pressure. Yes. It's the move. More relaxing. Do you have a favorite Thanksgiving food item? Well, the past few years, I smoke a brisket for Thanksgiving. Oh. And so everyone looks forward to that, and uh-huh. that's my new favorite Thanksgiving. I, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I like Thanksgiving food. Really? No. It's, you, it's hold just, on. It's you have told good. me that Thanksgiving is your favorite holiday. I like it because it's the least commercialized holiday, uh-huh. and it, it it's the only holiday where it's still about family and actually being grateful. It's also about food. But I don't like turkey. Oh, And I don't God. like... You haven't had good turkey. Well, you know, I'll Dude. eat turkey, but it's like, in the order of meats, turkey is like fourth or fifth on the list. Uh, I mean... Behind beef, chicken... Pork. Behind chicken, really? Oh, yeah. I'd rather have a good, moist chicken breast than a turkey breast. Hands down. Why, though? It's just better meat, in my opinion. <sighs> See, of all the mm, poultry, interesting. Of all the poultries, I think turkey is on is on top. Yeah, is is the superior poultry. I don't dislike it. I'm just like. I'd rather do tacos on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Why not? And wow. so we're doing brisket at the Novak household. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everyone always says <laughs> about, thanks, yeah. Thanksgiving is about the sides and not about, and not about the turkey. And I think those people have not had good turkey. My favorite Thanksgiving food is the turkey itself because yeah. it is a, it is a delicious animal. And I'm very glad that Ben Franklin didn't get his way and that it is not our national bird because then we would have to eat bald eagles. And I bet those are kind of tough. Yeah. I don't dislike turkey. I like a good smoked turkey, fried turkey, yeah. baked turkey too, but it's not yeah, my favorite. We smoke ours. It's pretty good. Do you have a favorite side? Oh, goodness. Everyone has the um, traditional sides, stuffing, green bean casserole, sweet probably, potato Probably uh, mashed potatoes and gravy. You're a simple man. Yep. That's cool. I respect that. Yep. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the uh, the marshmallows on top of the sweet potatoes. Really? No. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm losing respect and trust with you guys right now. <laughs> man. man. Yeah, I'm sorry to be uh, Debbie Downer on Thanksgiving. That's that's the best side because you can have your vegetables, but it's also covered in brown <laughs> sugar, marshmallows, and pecans. Yeah. So I kind of like a hash brown, any potato dish really, except unless it's sweet potatoes with marshmallows. Unless it's sweet potatoes, yeah, okay. yeah with mar- that. That's a dessert basically. It is, and so that's that's you I get like to have it, dessert twice, but I don't like it like on the side with my turkey. Mm. Um, all these things I like. I, there's just better things out there. You're a weird duck, man. If I'm going to put together a a great dinner, it's not going to include mashed potato. It's not going to include sweet potatoes with uh, marshmallows on top and turkey. That's the best dinner of the entire year. <laughs> uh, oh, 
I'm so disappointed. I, we do it. We do it. That we had a turkey. Good. Rest assured, a turkey was eaten <laughs> and consumed at our Thanksgiving. That's good. Not for that particular turkey, but it is. It's yes. Good. Um, that turkey did not get pardoned. <laughs> Gentlemen, question of the week: Christmas themed question of the week, which will hopefully be a theme in future episodes. Um, what is something that most people like about Christmas that you dislike? And if Michael says the food, I'm going to leave. <laughs> Gee, you go yeah. first. Oh, man. No, I was going to say you go first because I'm still working. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I immediately thought about uh, right. something. And the thing I thought about was eggnog. I'm not an eggnog fan. Hmm. It's just kind of yeah. gross. Okay. And yeah. this is one of the, like, I, when I say I don't like turkey, I like turkey. I don't like eggnog. Not a big eggnog fan either. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. I'm not a huge milk milk fan, and this is just like... Oh, my th- gosh. You don't like milk? It's thicker milk. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you you still drink milk? <laughs> do you not like milkshakes? Uh, I'll drink a milkshake. So what okay. do you drink with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Normally water. <laughs> <laughs> what do you oh, pour in your man. cereal? Oh, I'll drink milk. Okay, all right. Yeah. I don't dislike milk. <laughs> <laughs> How did we get almost 100 episodes into TGC midweek, and we are now just learning this? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a mystery. It's I, I don't dislike these things. They're just not my favorite. Wow. I'm with you on the eggnog thing, and I, I'm a fan of, of milk, but I think something about... Eggnog is like super thick, yes. and it's a little bit too much, Pretty and sweet. it seems to me... Um, some people say if you mix bourbon with it, it's it's good. But that seems like a waste of bourbon. Yeah, it seems opinion. like it, it makes it grosser to me. Yeah, I don't know. And then even the name eggnog. Doesn't it have like not, an egg in it or something? That's not appetizing. Yeah. Doesn't it like have like egg white or raw yeah, egg white that, or something? Yeah, and that makes it even less attractive to yeah, me. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, what about you? Man, I, I dislike, nay, despise Christmas music. On the radio and in stores, mm. the general merriment I find annoying. <laughs> Man, the, the culture's singing our songs, though. No, I, I'm not talking about uh, <laughs> sacred hymns, you know. Okay, which we'll talk about on a future episode. I'm, I find I'm talking about enjoying themselves. Yeah, annoying. I'm talking about. Um, Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty I, Snowman. I saw uh, Mommy, I kissing, saw mommy Santa kissing Santa Claus. Claus. <laughs> I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. The, oh, I find these little... songs so annoying, and everywhere you go, they're just... It's like I can only hear Mariah Carey singing the same song so many times before I'm just kind of... Like, I just find it annoying, you know? Mm-hmm. I, want my reg- I want the regular, regular department store tunes. Sure. Thank you very much. You still go into department stores? Well, you know, just like stores where you go for things and, All right. you know, department uh, department <laughs> stores, non-department stores. I don't know. What about you, G? What do you dislike? <laughs> this one's tough, guys. Not because I'm a, a Christmas a lover per se, but there, are, there aren't many things that kind of, that, you know, annoy me or about Christmas. I just, I guess I'm. I've gotten used to Christmas, I guess. Um, I, I, th- it's not as popular as it used to be when I was a kid, but I guess if there's one thing I never got the palate for, um, and I don't know, you, you guys can say, you know, survey says no on this one, but 
uh, fruitcake. Oh, um, I'm with you. I, I don't know if anybody likes fruitcake, so that maybe is kind of jumping on a bandwagon of everybody. You just pass your fruitcakes mm-hmm. over this direction. I love those delicious morsels of candied fruit. Really? Are you serious? Figgy. Man. Figgy cake stuff. Oh, my grandmother makes these fruitcake cookies. There's like fruitcake and like little cupcake things. And I will eat those until I cannot move anymore. Well, wow. They are so yeah. good. You can send me your Christmas music and I will send you my fruitcake. That is a fair friend. trade. I will okay. make that trade every day. Okay. What yeah. I'm learning right now is it's a good thing that we are centered around Jesus because we're not centered <laughs> around much more when it comes to Christmas here. <laughs> oh, we're about was, to come to blows over Christmas. Yeah, I love I it. I can't believe it. I can't believe. Uh, yeah, that was, it, that was one of the best answers I think I've ever heard, Jacob. Mm. General merriment annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'll go out on a limb, and ha- people can accuse me of being a bad Christian. I I don't like Christmas. Mm. <laughs> like just <laughs> you know, what's your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Okay, I love Thanksgiving. Yeah. I don't like Christmas. Uh, not sure why. No one quite knows the reason. Uh, it could be that my head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be that my shoes are. Two no, sizes too tight. I mean, however, Thanksgiving the line goes. is. A, I mean, it's probably my favorite holiday as well. Yeah, but I don't hold a. Go. I don't hold a grudge. I like being able to take time off work at the end Christmas. of the year for, th- for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm just hearkening back to the Puritans who also hated Christmas. So yeah, yeah. There we go. Everyone should go to work on Christmas. Mm. I think. Mm. Uh, Michael, please save us from my. Uh, Bah humbuggery. <laughs> and talk to us a little bit about Advent. We're going to be doing a little four-week series on um, Advent, the lead-up to Christmas, Saturnalia, etc. And uh, why don't you kick us off, give us an intro to Advent, how that fits into the church calendar, what is the church calendar, and why we should care about it. Yeah, Advent being the four weeks leading up to Christmas Day comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. And it's a season in the church calendar and in the life of the church where God's people are meant to be longing for, waiting upon, uh, eagerly anticipating the coming of Christ. And it really has uh, two different um, goals. Uh, The first is you look back on the first coming of Christ and His humility He's already been here once, Mm -hmm. and so we can appropriately reflect upon that during the Advent season, Um, and it also has a forward-looking aspect where we look forward to His second coming, His second arrival, where He'll come as a conquering, glorious King. He'll come not in humility, but in majesty, and both of these... uh, um, both of these aspects, as we look forward to Christ's coming, is uh, is meant to um, stoke within us looking forward to Him coming to restore and to renew all things. The first time He came to do it truly, we get to experience the renewal that He brings uh, in, in very real ways in our lives in this world. And the second time He comes, He'll do it fully and finally, where He'll put an end to all sin. And just thinking about it this afternoon... I mean, if you stop and consider this past year and the weight of sin and heartbreak that you personally bear, I mean, you think of uh, relational um, strain, you think of death, you think of cancer, you think of disappointments at work, you think of disappointments in family. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the list goes on and on where we are just worn down 
by, by the load of sin. And Advent is a time for us to sit in that for a season so that we might peak or um, stoke our appetite for wanting Jesus to come and take that away. And so we get to do that every year um, because, uh, um, you know, we don't follow the church calendar extremely closely um, or we don't make a big deal of it at Trinity Grace. We do um, follow it. You see it in the beginning of the bulletin every week. And um, I would not be opposed to making a bigger deal of it through the year. Uh, I think that it shapes and forms us in uh, really profound ways. Um, It centers our life as a church around uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. That's what the church calendar is meant to do. And um, I think it's uh, it's a great idea. And we could talk about um, kind of uh, why the church got rid of... um, you know, those sort of ritualistic type of um, um, trappings Mm -hmm. and the church calendar tends to fall into one of those uh, under that umbrella. Um, But uh, there there does seem to be a resurgence over the past, you know, few decades of Reformed and Protestant churches picking back up on the idea of the church calendar, on the idea of some of the aesthetic beauty that the church had to offer throughout the centuries that were kind of thrown away during the Reformation, probably in um, an overreaction, in mm-hmm. you know, my opinion, and I would imagine a lot of other people that are smarter than me opinion too. Sure. So, um, yeah, love the church calendar personally. Yeah. Um, Advent is basically the four weeks leading up to Christmas, um, and it's meant to get us excited um, to welcome Jesus. Um, and so you drive around, and like I said, it feels strange um, that Advent is meant to be a dark season. Like I said on Sunday, it's a little bit of a downer. Mm-hmm. Some of the songs that we sing, even as I mentioned, are um, are pretty dark during the Advent season. And they're meant to be, because that is, uh, you know, it begins in the depths. Advent begins in the dark. And the more we sit in the dark, the more we're prepared to welcome Christ's coming um, and celebrate that on Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'll mention, too, is some folks that really love Advent don't like singing Christmas carols before Mm Christmas time. And I understand that sentiment, but um, I think that, first off, we just don't have enough Advent songs to sing for four weeks. And so practically speaking, it's hard not to sing Christmas carols during this season. Secondly, the culture expects Christmas carols, which I don't think is necessarily a wrong or a bad thing. And third, we are looking back in the Advent season at Christ's first coming. And so it's appropriate uh, to not pretend like he hadn't already been here Mm -hmm. um, because he has. And so... While I appreciate the sentiment that, you know, during Advent, maybe we should refrain from hark the herald or joy to the world, um, it just practically doesn't work well. And theologically, um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it if we, even if we say that we're following the church calendar. So that might not be neither here nor there for most people, but for those that are very, um, uh, very tight with the church calendar, they might not like Christmas carols during Advent. Sure. I hear you, but sorry. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think that, uh, I think what encapsulates Advent pretty well, the kind of sit in the depths, but then with the knowledge that there's joy coming 
or there's a, you know there's there's a light coming is like the Christmas Eve service, which mm-hmm. is um like sometimes you'll go to a Christmas Eve tr- service at a, a church and it's deliberately dark. Um, we sing Silent Night, which is sort of a somber toned song. Um, you might sing other songs during the service as well, which are kind of somber toned. Mm-hmm. Um, then you hold the candle or Silent Night, you blow it out, and then you sing Joy to the World. Yeah, and so that kind of flow, I think, captures what you were talking about just just there a little bit. Yeah, and the other thing I'll say too is if you look at the flow of redemptive history. The time between the Old Testament and the coming of Christ, there were 400 years of silence. Mm-hmm. And so even, even that gives us a paradigm for the Advent season. It's not unusual for God to be silent, for uh, the world to be dark, so to speak, before the light bursts upon it yeah. in John chapter 1, you know, um, when the light of the world enters mm-hmm. um, enters into the scene. Um, and so 400 years of silence is a great paradigm for, for yeah. we've got four weeks in a sense of longing and expecting and anticipating the coming mm-hmm. of Christ. So I want to drill into something that you mentioned and drill into it a little bit more. So we kind of, we have the hindsight of living on this side of the cross. We know what happens at the end of Advent. We know that joy that comes with Christ's uh, birth and his life, death and resurrection and so, even though, as you mentioned, Advent is a time that begins in the depths, um, it's a time of, uh, it, it's kind of somber and there's there's some, a, a theme of darkness sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, we know kind of how it ends, and yet uh, we ought to force ourselves to feel the weight of the depths and understand the enormity and the crushing uh, weight of sin and darkness and the curse that's that's on this world. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about going through that process of consciously forcing yourself to experience, I guess, unpleasant feelings mm-hmm. in a way, um, knowing that there's joy on the other side, but kind of putting yourself in that position to kind of deliberately to force yourself to feel it. And what I'm talking about here is the the practice of ritual generally. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the idea of ritual and how that relates to the life of the Christian and how the Advent season is sort of one big ritual? Yeah. um, I think God's people have always been shaped and formed by uh, ritual. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see, I mean, their main feast was the Passover, and it was basically a ritual Mm -hmm. to remember God's redemptive acts in bringing them out of Egypt into the Promised Land. And not only was Passover a major festival, they also had two other major festivals that they participated in that actually took them from wherever they were living in the time to Jerusalem um, in order to participate, to worship, to celebrate um, and to remember, basically, God's actions on their behalf. And you can't overstate the importance of remembrance in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, I think it's one of the, the most common commands that you see is to remember. And one of the ways that you can remember as a finite human being is to engage in ritual that shapes and forms you into that remembrance. And so... 
we are just uh, a group of people that gravitate to ritual. Um, and if you leave the Judeo-Christian worldview, I mean, you don't get rid of ritual there. Right. You just see it and play out in other ways. Thanksgiving is a ritual. I mean, it, the meal that you have, the preparation, all your that. favorite football team. If you go to Austin, Texas, on a Saturday in you know September, October, or November, you are engaged in very well thought out, mm-hmm. historical, meaningful ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to how you enter the stadium, what you wear, chants that you chant, um, cheerleaders that cheer certain ways, activities that happen during the game that have happened year after year the same exact way, mm-hmm. what happens after a touchdown, songs that are sung, all of this is ritual. Um, you know, Jamie Smith, who writes a great book, um, a great trilogy, um, uh, he, uh, um, man, the, the title's slipping me right now. Um, uh, he's um, a professor out of Calvin College. Golly, I can't believe I'm forgetting this book. It's one of my favorite books, one of the most influential books that I've read in the past decade, probably. Um, I want to say Desiring the Kingdom is the name of the book, uh, at least the first one in the trilogy. And you can correct me because you're looking it up, I can tell. Um, Apparently, there's also a basketball player named James oh, Smith. Yeah, so. James K.A. Smith. That's what you should look up. Um, but anyway, he makes the argument that going to uh, the shopping mall um, is also uh, a ritual in some ways. Um, it's almost like a cathedral. Uh, you walk into um, you know, the main part of the shopping mall, and you've got knaves on either side of you, and you mm-hmm. can go in, and you can basically uh, purchase. Um, you can go to the altar, uh, exchange your money for, for, for a gift, um, and... All of these activities, whether it be sporting events, whether it be shopping, whether it just be living life um, on a day-to-day basis, uh, we're engaged in ritual. And so kind of a long-winded answer, actually. Um, did you find that book title, by the way? No, he's written a lot of stuff. Okay, so. I'm going to find it because it's I, I, it's just going to drive me crazy. Okay, Guillermo is going to find it. Yeah. Um, I, I could find it in like two seconds. <laughs> Just look at James. Uh, anyway, maybe I couldn't because I'm sure that you tried to look it up, Jacob. Um, anyway, God's people always been formed by ritual. Um, and then uh, you get to the New Testament. And of course, you've got the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, you've got his death and his resurrection. Yeah, Desiring the Kingdom. That's what I thought. Um, I'm glad that I remembered that book because it really did shape and form even how we crafted our core values at Trinity Grace. Um, uh, you've got uh, Jesus coming and you see the first Christians worshiping on the first day of the week uh, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And um, and then as early as the third and the fourth century, you have got, for instance, Chrysostom, um, who is one of the church fathers mentioning uh, Advent and the Epiphany in some of his sermons. You've got Constantine in 325 instituting, um, you know, Christianity as the legal religion of the Roman Empire. And you've got a number of the patriarchs at that point talking about the church calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, it was established in some ways uh, as early as the third and the fourth century. And so um, God's people in that time, we're allowing the life and ministry of Jesus to shape and form them. 
instead of uh, following, um, for instance, what, what's the calendar we follow? Well, generally, I'm following the kid's school calendar, mm-hmm. or I'm following calendar of holidays that the culture has crafted for me. And so February, what do I think of? I think of Valentine's Day and love. Um, you know, you fast forward to uh, July 4th, and I'm thinking of patriotism mm-hmm. um, in summertime. And then August, it's back to school. And then in the fall, it could be football season, mm-hmm. could be taking kids to sports. And and we're shaped and formed by time. And so everybody keeps time in certain ways. And the church wants to keep its time in a very intentional way that is centered around uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. And I think that's the original intention of the church calendar as it came into formation in the third and fourth century. How are we as God's people going to form and shape time? And I think the problem happened is the Roman Catholic Church, obviously the only church in town at that point, Mm -hmm. um, until um, the 16th and 17th century, um, basically continued to add on more ritual. You know, they would have more feast days and they would honor saints. And, and then all of a sudden they got into indulgences and uh, a lot of aesthetic beauty and probably uh, too much comfort and um, material wealth and, uh, you know, works-based religion. And then all of a sudden you get the reformers on the scene and they um, engage in the Reformation and they might have overcorrected in some ways. I mean, the Roman Catholic Church was the church um, for centuries until the Reformation happened. And geez, we're all thankful for the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Um, we are Presbyterian. We're Protestant. We are children of the Reformation. But that doesn't mean that the Reformation is beyond critique in some ways and how they might have overreacted and specifically overreacted to some of the aesthetic beauty that they got rid of that came along uh, with the Catholic Church. Um, The way that, you know, Reformers and Protestants today um, basically push the church calendar aside because they view it as silly ritual. Um, Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And we'd 100% agree with that. We're just making the argument that the church calendar could be a helpful tool um, that has been used throughout the centuries in the Christian church to help shape and form God's people according to a different type of time. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I would really push back against folks that, and I understand, I mean, I understand reform folks and um, that that basically want to get rid of all um, um, special festivals and holy days, but I mean, even those people celebrate Easter and Christmas. Right. If you're going to be uh, if you're going to be true to that belief, then you've got to follow in your footsteps and hate Christmas. <laughs> you know, it's just another Sunday. Well, that's yeah. That's so the Puritans hated Christmas because I shouldn't say they hated Christmas, but they like actively discouraged the religious observance of overt observance of Christmas because it felt too Catholic. Uh, if you ever study like the English civil war, anytime the Puritans started to get a lot uh, disproportionate amount of, of power, Christmas like uh, receded in terms of importance and like people caught taking the day off on Christmas would be punished and things like mm. that. And as the Puritans started to influence American culture, you can see Christmas sort of, de-emphasize and I can't remember his name. I think he was a governor of 
Virginia or Massachusetts or something. And um, let's just say he was a governor of Virginia and he would journal. I can't remember his name. So someone will, will, will send it in and correct me, but he would journal like uh, relentlessly every day. And then he would write on Christmas, Christmas pass without incident. <laughs> Cause it's just like, it's just unimportant, you know. Yep. Anyway, that's sure. I'm always interested in like how um I, I've just always found that interesting is um yep. a lot of yeah, go on. Oh no. I I've, but to to get back to throwing the baby out with the bathwater with when it came to the Reformation, I mean aesthetic beauty is one of those things. Uh the way the church engages the culture could be another yeah. thing. Um, uh, and the way that we use our bodies in worship, which Presbyterians are not good at, and I'm not comfortable <laughs> with personally. Yeah. But I think that there's something to be said for kneeling when you're praying, for lifting hands, and this is not something that I do, but I can see why there is, if we're a, a soul-body nexus, if our soul and body are, are one and both should be engaged in worship, our body movements actually help our soul's posture when it comes to worship. I mean, smells, Mm -hmm. for instance. And I know that you get some churches out there that pump smells in and, you know, that that's kind of anathema to some folks. And I don't necessarily, uh, you know, I'm never would advocate for this at Trinity Grace. I just don't know if it's that bad an idea. Yeah. Um, now, if you're looking to just play on people's emotions, um, and, you know, get them feeling a certain way, I can understand, but, there is another aspect where, you know, that's one of our five senses. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if we're going to engage in worship, that might not be, that's not out of bounds is what I'm yeah. saying. And so, you know, I'm thinking of the the Roman Catholic Church that comes with incense and, um, you know, they're engaging the five senses of the body, which I think is a conversation that should be had yep. or is worth having. I think the practice of ritual Generally, not any one specific ritual, but engaging in a life that is rich with ritual is very important for uh, your religious life, but then also for your life in general. Because anytime, anytime you're engaged with something that is bigger than yourself, that requires any amount of complex metaphysical thinking or uh, any amount of faith, Ritual can be profoundly helpful because it takes uh, what you're professing belief in or what you're ascribing to, and it grounds it into something that you can uh, hear, feel, smell, touch, taste. Mm-hmm. One of the most important parts of the Sunday morning worship service ritual to me is the ritual within the ritual, which we call the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. where we come forward and we put something in our mouth and we taste this and we smell the wine and like it it grounds us very specifically in what are more complex broader bigger picture a little bit more meta claims that we've been talking about yep for someone like me who's super analytical and very like you know i like data and i like empirical stuff having the thing that you touch and smell and taste is profoundly helpful to me as a worshiper mm-hmm it doesn't take the place of something else. It doesn't take the place of worship. It is not the point itself. Yep. Like we don't go to Sunday morning worship for communion. Mm-hmm. We go there to worship the Lord and communion is a unique and special part of that. Um, but it helps ground me in what, in what we're doing there. And it makes sure. it more real. 
Not that it is less real without it, but it makes it it in that moment, the realness of it hits me harder mm-hmm. than would be without it. Yep. Does that make and sense? You said something important there that um the church calendar is not the point. Mm-hmm. It's meant to be a tool. Yeah. That leads us to Jesus and to form and shape our life around him. And if it becomes the point, if ritual becomes the point, um, it just becomes empty formalism in yeah. some ways. And so when we talk about the church calendar, even we are talking about something that is an aid to Christians if used appropriately. Um, and it, it's important to think about the church calendar. I mean, let's talk about it for sure. a minute. I mean, you've got Advent. Uh, the four weeks that lead up to Christmas, and they're meant, as we mentioned, uh, to be uh, a time where you're eagerly expecting and anticipating the arrival of Jesus. Then you've got Christmas tide, which actually is more than one day. Oh, it's twelve days in the church calendar, and so um, Christmas uh, is the arrival of Jesus, uh, where you're celebrating his arrival. Um, and uh, that's the that, that's the season where you're singing "Joy to the World," "Hark the Herald," um, all the uh, great Christmas hymns. Um, most folks that uh, might follow uh, a church calendar in a very strict way might not put up the Christmas tree until December 25th, mm. um, if they put up a Christmas tree at all. Um, but that would be the time where you're really celebrating, you know, the fact that Christ has arrived. And so it would be appropriate for us to sing Christmas carols into January Mm -hmm. um, if we're following the church calendar. You've got the Epiphany, uh, which happens 12 days after Christmas. That is when the Magi come, and it's basically the revealing um, of Jesus to the Gentiles. Um, After that, you've got the season of Lent that happens, and that's more internally focused on our own sin and repentance and confession. Those 40 days of Lent lead up to Holy Week. Um, which includes Palm Sunday, Jesus entering Jerusalem for the last time. Uh, you've got uh, Maundy Thursday where he institutes the Lord's Supper with his disciples. You've got Good Friday where he dies on the cross. And then you've got Easter Sunday where you celebrate his resurrection. After that, um, after Easter, uh, you move forward. And 40 days after that, you celebrate Pentecost, uh, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Um and up those whole 40 days are basically Easter celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after Pentecost, you basically have a good, you know, uh, probably 30 uh, to 35 weeks of what we'd call ordinary time from June all the way to Advent, where you basically focus on the mundane, normal, everyday aspect of life. And so, um, you know, this calendar, it centers us around the life of ministry of Jesus and um, it's just a tool that Christians can use. And so, like I said, we don't follow it extremely closely at Trinity Grace. But if you're at Trinity Grace, you should know it is always in the back of my mind in terms of the liturgy that we're using that day and even the sermon series that we're in during that season. And so um, try to shape and form some of those liturgical aspects around the church calendar, even if you don't realize it. Yeah. And we could make a bigger deal out of it if we wanted to, but um, it's kind of in the background. Can I ask you a question about some of the key milestones within the church calendar? Um, days like Christmas, Easter, um, totally pagan origins. Like Christmas is center is is uh, 
situated in the wintertime because of Saturnalia, which was the Roman pagan winter solstice festival. Easter originated as a pagan holiday. Even things like Easter symbols like bunnies and chicks are symbols of fertility because of the pagan fertility observance and stuff that was that was done around that time in the spring when things are new birth and beginning and growing and things like that. So with all this pagan influence, like how should we think about things like that? Even things like Christmas trees, mm-hmm. totally pagan influence. So um, like I've heard that as a critique sometimes. My own view on that is I kind of sh- just kind of shrug. Like it's, it's an interesting piece of trivium, but mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, it's, Western people adopting their pre-Christian culture to a Christian worldview in in in, in a way. Yep. Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I kind of shrug too because I, I'm not um, probably uh, knowledgeable enough to speak to the pagan influences of those two Christian holidays. I will say that with when it comes to Easter, I mean, it's centered around uh, the Jewish Passover. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the Easter bunny, obviously, I don't know what to say about that or, um, you know, the fertility uh, that happens in the spring. I don't know how that, you know, uh, factors into the equation. I could see how maybe uh, certain folks that are non-Christians would gravitate towards that type of fecundity in the spring and and make a big deal of it. Um, But when it comes to uh, the Passover and when Christ actually was crucified, um, you know, you've got that fairly, I mean, that, 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 that follows along fairly closely, I believe with our current church calendar. And so, uh, Christmas, you know, that's an interesting question because when you say the Puritans didn't love Christmas, I think that I agree with you and I don't know enough about it to disagree. I do know that when, um, uh, the Puritans that came to establish, uh, New York, um, some of the Puritans there um, were very much into um, giving gifts uh, and specifically in the tradition of St. Nicholas, mm-hmm. um, who was known to encourage children and give gifts in uh, in light of the great gift giver. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know if it's completely pagan. I don't know where Christmas trees come from, to be honest. Um, that was like a... a- In the wintertime, every culture, pre-Christian culture forever has had some kind of winter solstice observance. Winter for ancient peoples was deadly because there was no food. Mm -hmm. Like You would freeze to death. You just die. Winter was horrible. So the winter solstice marked a point where the days are getting shorter, shorter, colder, colder. Winter solstice comes around. Now the days are starting to get longer. Like you're halfway through and things are starting to pick up. And so every culture everywhere has had a winter solstice feast or festival, something to mark that sort of, this is as bad as it gets and it's going to start to get better. And, uh, the Celtic pagan folks in Europe, one of the things that they would do to celebrate this was they would bring evergreen trees into their house as a symbol of like huh. life and things like that. And yeah. that's where we get Christmas. Trees. Interesting. I'm sure I'm getting some of the details wrong, but it's something in that. Oh no. Well, you know, I've always thought and and heard um, that, you know, December 25th is kind of a, um, I mean, a shot in the dark. I mean, Jesus was likely not born in yeah. that season um, even. Right. Um, he was likely born on the other, you know, in, in our summer, basically. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they weren't working on the same calendar that we're working on then. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. December 25th, was that a Constantine thing? 
No, it. So I'm. F- Who instituted it, December 25th? I don't even know. So that time, I don't know if it was December 25th specifically, or it was sort of just like around that time. Winter solstice is usually like December 21st, December yep. 22nd. So it sort of coincides with, yeah, coincides with that. Um, but it was a Roman pagan holiday called Saturnalia, and I can't remember the the details of it. I bet um, Constantine made it Christmas. That's, it, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Is uh, you take these. Pagan holidays yeah. that are super popular. Ah, man, I'm getting the de- going to get the details so wrong on this, but I think that part of the Saturnalia celebration was really popular with gladiators who were like the Roman equivalent of celebrities. And so it was this, it was basically mm-hmm. like, uh, I don't know, the Oscars, back when people used to watch the Oscars, it was like a large cultural event. And um, yeah, when the Christian church becomes ascendant, it's like, okay, take this, Take this cultural day that everyone's already paying attention yep. to, and now this is when Jesus was born. Yep. Even though we really don't know like the day oh, of yeah. Jesus's birthday. Yep. That's exact. I mean, that would have been my educated guess, and I don't know enough, as I mentioned, to speak on the history knowledgeably. But I would imagine. I mean, that's that just rings true um, to uh, things that I think that I've read and heard about. Constantine taking yeah. pagan holiday and implementing, um, you know, Christian meaning into it. And I, I just don't have a problem with that. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, I'm kind of with you. We take our culture as it exists and it's a win in some yes, ways. And we put Christian, this is going to sound bad, but we put Christianity into it, but that's not actually that bad because Christianity applies to every culture everywhere. It is the message of Jesus Christ is agnostic to other cultural trappings. Yep. There's some things on the edges where I know that'll be, you know, different, but for the most part, it's like the message of Christ. If, if ancient, uh, not ancient, but like, uh, classical, uh, European pagans can take their entire pagan system and then overhaul it to Christianity, that is proof positive that the message of Christianity is something that is applicable, or at least can be applicable, to every culture everywhere, is the point I've been trying to get to for the last 15 minutes. Yep. I I mean, and it's interesting you mentioned this too, because if you look at the the extant writings, meaning the writings that 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 you have, that you can actually go back and look at that are existing... Um, the earliest ones are after 325 that yeah. mention Christmas and Advent. And so it makes sense that this would have been um, an invention in some ways of the Roman Empire under Emperor Constantine and the, the Christian church kind of gravitated around it mm-hmm. and probably welcomed it and celebrated it. Can you imagine after hundreds of years of persecution and tribulation, all of a sudden they've got an emperor right. that institutes some of these things and that I would imagine it was an exciting development mm-hmm. um, to the leaders of the church. And um, and so Easter feels like it is more established in our current calendar. The name Easter is a pagan holiday. Oh, sure. Well, let's call it Passover then. <laughs> yeah. Um, Passover. It coincides with Passover. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And so there, I mean, we're fairly certain that happens at that time of year. Who knows when Jesus was born? Um, so, um, yeah. Interesting conversation. I should know a lot more about this than I do, but can't know everything. So, 
I just think those things are kind of interesting. I don't oh, know. Yeah. Sorry to derail the whole conversation. Oh, no. Is there more you want to say on, no, I mean, on Advent is, specifically? No, I've, I've said all I need to say about <laughs> Advent, but um, this is an interesting conversation. I mean, when did Christmas start? Yeah. So what's in, like, this is why I say I, I dislike Christmas, and I don't want people to think I'm being a Scrooge. What I mean when I say I dislike Christmas is I dislike the the busyness of the season and the stress and yep. how much it costs. And I dislike gift giving. Like yeah. the, the purpose of gifts. <laughs> Did somebody the, hurt you when you were young? No. <laughs> it, see, that's the thing is like when you're a kid, when you're a kid and the gift giving is overwhelming in your direction, Christmas is like, you're excited about Christmas because you know, you're like kids, teenagers are, they're just barbarians and they're just like getting more tools and animal hides. And it's, so it's, it's fun. But then when you're an adult and Christmas is a giant financial burden, (laughs) it makes it a lot harder to sure be merry, I guess. And it's like, there's always people on the road and every store is crowded. And it's just like, I I just dislike it. And so I'm, and it's, Zoom out for a second. We've talked before how our society is becoming less Christian, albeit gradually. But when I was a kid, everyone I knew went to church. Now, I would say probably a, a minority of people that I know go to church or identify as Christians. So a society is becoming less Christian. It's not a society that is less celebrating Christmas, but if if any of our holidays should be most obviously Christian— it should be the one with Christ in the name. <laughs> sure. And, but every person in America celebrates Christmas. And so it's like Christmas is, has become culturally much more an American holiday than a Christian holiday. If you'll just go with me yeah. for, for a second here. Like, um, prior to like the Civil War, Christmas was not, the take two weeks off at the end of the year kind of thing that we think of it today. Um, after the Civil War, Reconstruction, Lincoln is trying to bridge a broken nation. There was some very famous pieces of art that came out with of Santa Claus bringing gifts to soldiers dressed in blue and gray. So sort of this unifying symbol of a nation that's coming back together. Um And by that, I mean soldiers dressed in blue and soldiers dressed in gray. So you have Union and Confederate soldiers sitting together and being given gifts by by Santa Claus, you know, red Mm -hmm. suit and all that. And so that's when Christmas starts to become this massive cultural icon. And so it's it's, it's like Christmas has become more of an American holiday than it has a a Christmas holiday. Mm -hmm. And like – Culturally, I think that's probably a good thing for our nation as a whole to have this this holiday that we call Christmas that is recognized by lights and singing and gifts. Um, I lament the fact that for most people, it's lost its sacred meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I have these kind of like, on the one hand, I, I welcome the fact that people are uh, – sort of like culturally and politically, I guess I welcome the fact that people are all assimilating around this one thing, like, um, immigrants from countries without much Christian influence, putting up lights and celebrating Christmas, even though they're not Christians. I think from 
from a national standpoint, I think is probably a good thing. But I, at the same time, I lament the fact that more people don't understand the true meaning of Christmas, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, so I have these kind of mixed feelings. And, and Christians oftentimes talk about putting the Christ back in Christmas. I, sometimes I think we need to put the 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 mass back in Christmas or like the church back in Christmas. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, because Christmas, as we understand, as we understand it today as 21st century people, has lacked a religious influence for a long time. So yeah. that is my rant. That's why I am a little bit bah hum- humbug, I guess, about Christmas. And I don't like despise it. Like I, I, I'll take well, Christmas as much as everyone consumeristic else. Consumeristic and businesses and companies make a lot of money. Yeah. On this holiday. Hey, I'm in the credit card industry. We yep. budget specifically for sure. the spike in credit card spend and balance that we see in Christmas and the months afterwards. And because of that, Christ and Christ's mass, which yeah. is where it comes yeah. from, Christ's service yeah. is completely kind of forgotten. It's lost. The thing I'll, I'll, I'll say too, and this is where I'll end, but I'd love to hear anything else you have to say is... Um, if if nothing else, I mean, we don't know the history of Christmas as well as we should, for instance. I mean, obviously, uh, we're just guessing that it was constant. We never know anything as well as, That's right. as we should. We're always just kind of firing from the But air. the thing that this is, is reminding me of is like we are dealing with a religion that is rooted in history. Mm-hmm. And so – um, you know, we just we just tend to think like Christmas, of course, it's always happened. Mm-hmm. Like this is what, you know, this is what we've always done and um it feels consumeristic and but there is a long history in the church that you can go and actually look at and you know, you could probably do a better job of us tonight and go and figure out when did Christmas start? What happened? What necessitated this? Um you could also go back and look where the two birth narratives are recounted in Matthew and Luke. And, um, you know, there's probably hints that historians can come up with to when and what time of year Jesus was born. You know, when did this census that Quinerius instituted at the beginning of Luke actually happen? Um, there's probably some documentation that you can go and look at and see when that might have happened in uh, certain uh, parameters of the first century. Um, when were shepherds normally out in the fields at night? Um, you know, I think that's one of the arguments uh, for the fact that we have Christmas completely on the opposite side of the calendar than it should be. And so all of this uh, is what I'm trying to – it's all historically rooted. Yeah. Um, it happened in real time and real space, and we did not invent these things, you know, in 20th and 21st century America. Right. Um, we are inheriting uh, a rich heritage uh, from the church universal – and the church historical um, that oftentimes we just don't give enough thought to, obviously, because we don't know the answers to some of these questions. Sure. Yeah. So. But the church calendar is important. Yes. Church calendar is, is important. Ritual is important. Folks, hope you've learned a thing or two about Advent. Hope I didn't discourage you too much about Christmas. I promise I'm not. Uh, my name is not Ebenezer, and I don't uh, uh, make my interns work late on Christmas Eve or something like that. So Scrooge McCandless. <laughs> That's right. Um, I got a quick question for you. Oh, no. Jacob, and this is more for clarification for the uh, listeners out there. And as they know, I, I typically don't chime in, but I guess what I hear you, what I hear from you, you're saying is um, maybe the way that you perceive um, 
Christians and non-Christians maybe engaging this season or this holiday is kind of maybe where it rubs you a little bit the wrong way. Because I think what Michael was saying earlier is, and I guess maybe the way I think of it is, Christmas and, and the church calendar, It's these are tools. Mm-hmm. And there is no top-down change to the way a culture engages in anything. Um, I think as a society, we are busy and going at 100 miles per hour all the time. Christmas gets a little bit of a bump. Yeah. But it's not like this. It's this anomaly that, oh, we're kind of just bumming around all the year and then christmas hits and all of a sudden we're busy no our culture is busy Mm -hmm. we are getting about we're doing a lot of stuff we are probably stressed beyond what we should be because we're acquiring more than we probably ever need Mm -hmm. um and so that just kind of it kind of feeds into christmas christmas isn't a break from that Unfortunately, maybe it adds on to it, but I guess what I'm hearing from you, uh, and I guess the, the thing is, is that for the listeners out there, it's just, how do you engage with, with Christmas? Because that's really, no president is going to dictate how a country engages in this holiday. It's really an individual decision of how are you going to use the calendar? How are you going to use Christmas? Mm-hmm. How are you going to use Easter? How are you going to use Advent? Um for you and your family, um, can you slow down? Yeah. Can can you kind of bring that focus back if, if that's your what you want to do with your family? So I, I think I'll put it this way. I think this is a good way to summarize it. I like Advent and the Advent season way more than I like Christmas time. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. Can I say this too? Yes. I, I, I looked this up and I, I just, it's gonna, it was going to drive me crazy. The church in Rome began formally celebrating Christmas on December 25th in 336 during the reign of the Emperor Constantine. As Constantine had made Christianity the effective religion of the empire, some have speculated that choosing this date had the political motive of weakening the established pagan celebrations. Yeah. And so 336 was the first Christmas day, and it did not become an American federal holiday, as you mentioned, until June 26 of 1870. Mm. It is a celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, the man Christians believe is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, has its root in ancient times and celebrated around the world, but 1870 instituted in our country as a federal holiday. So 336 was the first Christmas day. Before then, I don't know what the church did to celebrate Christmas. <laughs> maybe they didn't celebrate it. Yeah, like we maybe do today. Not sure. We could speculate uh, all hours of the night if we could, but I think that would we would hit diminishing returns pretty quickly. Amen. Yeah, folks, we appreciate you tuning in. Hope you've gotten something out of this. This has been a little bit more from the hip than usual, and we've had quite a few from the hip episodes lately. <laughs> um, this is a little more from the hip than usual. Hope you've appreciated this. Hope you'll tune in next week. If you've got a question about Advent, Christmas, uh, or anything in that vein, or really anything at all, you can send those to questions at trinitygracesa.org. We would love to take a stab at those. 
on a future episode of this of this show. Folks, we appreciate you tuning in. And until next time, we'll see you later.